Hey, this is Amelia Andalion, yoga and meditation teacher. And this is a special episode dedicated to Black Lives Matter. So I have been called and felt passionate about learning more about how I can help the community at this time, especially in response to the Blackout Tuesday we just experienced here on social media, where the request was, will non-black people, which I am, I am a person of color, but I'm not black. So there was a request for us, non-black people, to listen and learn. So I have been doing that And it also made it clear that in the listening and learning that we weren't asked to be silent. The other request was to share what we've learned. So once we've learned, once we've been educated, once we've been enlightened, to share it in our own way, whether it's in a peaceful protest or it's doing an Instagram post or story, or I'm choosing right now to share my thoughts and my insights here on this podcast. So I thank you for tuning in. This episode is not perfect. It's unscripted. It's me talking free form. Um, I did listen to the podcast and I realized that I got some facts mixed up. Uh, my husband, he was listening. He's like, did you really just talk for like almost an hour nonstop? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I did. I talked and I did not edit, and uh, so now in this introduction, I'm sharing a correction. So one thing I noticed was I was getting my facts mixed up between the George Floyd case and the Ahmed Aubrey case. So I mentioned in the episode, you'll hear me say how um, it took months and months for the police officers to get arrested, for um, the police brutality to be highlighted in the news by the one officer that with his knee on George Floyd and then the three officers that were standing watching. And it's not true that it took months and months. That was actually the Ahmed Aubrey case that it took months and months before that case got into the news and we realized why. Why did it take so long for us to hear about that case? So in reality, really, it took about a week, a little bit more than a week because the black community and those of us that have chosen to stand up for Black Lives Matter have taken to emails and texting and donating and voting and having our voices be heard to ask the police department to do something, to to have justice for George Floyd. So just so you know, I'm aware. I have those facts mixed up. And there's a lot going on. (laughs) A lot going on. And I did my best in offering this to you, and I thank you for tuning in. Thanks. All right, here we go. Here I go. So a little bit about me, if you're wondering, you know, who am I? And why do I care about this? And, and, you know, what, what is my background? So personally, I was born in 1964. And, you know, it's not lost on me that I was born when civil rights was a big issue. You know, this is not new. You know, so we're talking about 55 years ago when I was born in 1964. It was a year after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And then four years later in 
1968, April 4, 1968. And I remember April 4 because that's the, the day that my papa was born. That's when Martin Luther King Jr., you know, probably our most famous civil rights activist, was assassinated. So I was born into it. I wasn't conscious of it. I wasn't an activist as a, as a young baby, but it just made me realize that this, this has been in our culture and in our country for a really long time. This is not new. And, you know, what's happening now is those of us in 2020, we're getting a taste of it and we're getting a reminder that these issues are still alive. They're still happening, whether it's race or police brutality, judging people by the color of their skin. And why does it matter? So people say, well, why can't I say all lives matter? And, you know, it's, I've seen certain memes out there today, specifically today, and I'm, I'm speaking to you on Thursday, June 4th. So just in the last couple of days since the Blackout Tuesday, more education, more speaking out about Black Lives Matter, and then the question of, well, why can't I say all lives matter? And it's not that. And of course, all lives matter. But the request this week is to offer focus on the Black community. And it's made a difference. And I'll speak more to it about it later in the episode because we've seen some justice of George Floyd, some progress in that case. And this matters to me because I'm, I'm a person of color myself and I've experienced my own prejudice being on the receiving end of also being ridiculed and put down and been denied because of the color of my skin. And even though I have experienced that and it didn't feel good and it definitely had an impact on me, on my self-esteem and how I show up in the world, I also know 100% that this is nothing, nothing like what the African-American community has experienced at all. So I'm not saying that I know how a black person feels when they're pulled over in by a police car or when they can't go out and jog freely. I, I, I'm not saying that at all, but I can say that I have a taste, a little bit of a taste of what it feels like and it sucks. It does not feel good and it can create a trauma unless you can learn how to clear it and cleanse it, which I'm grateful for my yoga practice that it does that. And then back to Black Lives Matter. That's my focus for this episode. So that's just a little bit of a background of who I am. All right, here I go. It's my first time recording an episode, sharing my thoughts. And it's a little bit different than offering a meditation with a theme or a yoga class or just sharing an audio recording from a live Zoom yoga class. So thanks for following along. I'm going to try to keep my thoughts as focused as possible. And just so you know, I'm just talking to you, just keeping it real. And a little bit more about me. 
because I haven't really shared much about who I am and my background besides being a yoga and meditation teacher. So I was born in 1964 and the year that things were happening then. So there was the shooting of John F. Kennedy, the assassination, and then there was the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s, in the early 60s. So I was born in this world when civil rights was being fought and marched. And so now I'm 55. So this has been going on a long time, and it's even been before then that this has been a struggle and something that the black community has been fighting for and has been request requesting, you know, equality, justice, fairness, you know, from our government and asking all of us as citizens of the United States and even in the entire planet, you know, not to judge based on the color of your skin. And a little bit more about me. I was born in the United States. My parents were not. And in my family, we have all experienced some prejudice and some racism. So I've witnessed my father being on the receiving end of not physical, although I know I had heard stories of him being physically beat up when he was in the Coast Guard um, for the color of his skin, because of the color of his skin. But I had witnessed when I was in college just because of the color of his skin, the way that he was spoken to and demeaned and condescended. And I received it as a child growing up because of the color of my skin. So I have firsthand experience of that. And it's nothing, 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 nothing like what my friends, my African-Americans have experienced and, and any of these African-Americans that I've been learning about now you know, George Floyd and Ahmed Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So I have a, an, a little bit of a taste and empathy, you know, for what it feels like to be judged and put down and ridiculed for being yourself, something that you cannot change. You know, I can't change the color of my skin. I know Michael Jackson, he tried to bleach his skin, you know, maybe that was why because of the oppression, you know, being judged by the color of your skin, you know, but really we cannot change the color of your skin. And if you've never experienced that, it's like something you can't change about yourself, just something to think about, to reflect on, you know, to say that you really understand what the black community is going through. I think it's hard for any of us to say that we can understand and empathize unless, you know, you are black. So then how can those of us that are not black, what can we do to show our empathy and our compassion? And then I go back to what the Blackout Tuesday, that hashtag Blackout Tuesday that flashed on social media, the invitation to Stop with our own self-promotion and instead take this time to educate ourselves 
about how to support the black community. And for me, that started with how to get to know the history of the black community. So whether it's far back history or the, our contemporary history. And a few things that I did was I went through my house and I looked for books that were written by African, African American authors or if the subject was about the black community. And I found two books. <laughs> I found two books in my house. One book is pretty much always at my nightstand right now, and it's Becoming by Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama, who I feel actually privileged that I got to see her two years ago in San Jose when she came. I went with my family and a friend and bought her book, and I absolutely love Michelle Obama and all of her writing. And the other book that I found was The Hate You Give, which was actually a book that my teenage daughter she turned me on to a couple of years ago. So we read the book and we watched the movie. And I honestly have to share that that was my first experience with really getting an idea of what police brutality looks like from a movie. And I feel like I'm actually making a confession right now <laughs> by admitting it. And you know, I knew it was happening. I knew it was happening back in the 60s. I knew it's been happening back in history. But I don't recall actually ever watching a movie that had the the graphic, you know, just seeing him in the car doing nothing wrong, hands up, and then getting shot just like that. So it was a very impactful, effective movie and the book I loved even more. And what I appreciated about it was it raised this awareness of, you know, I've been aware of race, you know, prejudice because of the color of your skin. For me, it was like I would be teased about my slanted eyes. So just by, you know, just because of how you look, you know, being judged, being treated differently. But I wasn't so educated on police brutality. So I delved even deeper and I started with my social media. I started researching and, you know, seeing who my friends were following and what were they posting on their posts and on their Insta stories. And those of you that are on Insta, Instagram, I'm going to share a couple of accounts for you to consider following if you'd like to learn a little bit more about what is going and what's being organized in the black community. So one is Sean King. So it's a Sean with a U, S-H-U-N-K-I-N-G. And he also has started another page called Grassroots Law. And I know there's so many Instagram accounts out there, but I, I want to keep it short for this episode. So just even those two, you can see you know, there's, there's accounts of, you know, the peaceful protests. There's accounts, posts, and videos of police brutality and suggestions on what you can do. You know, so as of this recording, there has, in my opinion, 
you know, maybe this is ignorant of me to say this, but I'm, I'm viewing this as progress. So George Floyd, so those of you, I think almost everybody knows, but if there's anybody here listening, George Floyd was killed, murdered by a policeman that had his knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds while he was detaining him. So George Floyd was on the ground and he was holding him in place, waiting for, I'm still not clear what, what was he waiting for? He already had backup. There were already three other policemen there before they would let him up, even though George Floyd was calling for his mother. He was saying, I can't breathe. He was saying, can I have some water? He was thirsty. And a videographer or somebody with an iPhone had this all on videotape. And fortunately for that, now the policeman that had his knee on his neck, he has now been arrested and charged with murder. And as of today, the other three officers also now, they're not charged with murder, but they also now, beyond being let go of their jobs, they also now are being arrested. So that's progress. It took months and months for this to get out, for something to happen to these police officers for some consequence. So up until the video and up until now, up until all these protests, so months and months later, now this is coming out. Now, finally, consequences for these police officers. Yeah, and that's why the uprising. And did it get buried because of the COVID-19? Yeah, maybe you could say that. And, you know, a lot of us suspect if this happened to a white person on the ground and they were the ones that had a knee on their neck, we can only guess, but it probably wouldn't have taken months and months and months for the police officers to get arrested, be charged, be put in jail. And that is part of the problem. One, that police brutality is even happening at all. And two, when it does happen, too many police officers are walking away, no consequences no consequences at all. And this is what has to stop. One, it has to stop the killing of innocent black people has to stop. Two, and then when it does happen, the police officers, they need to be arrested. They need to be held accountable for their actions. And then the training, you know, who is training and how is this training being created for our police force, you know, to allow this type of, whether it's a mentality, is there a mental background check that needs to happen? Is there a questioning of how do you feel about black people? You know, what is your opinion about black people even before they get hired or before they're allowed to have a gun in their holster. I don't know. I am not an expert on this, but these are the questions that are going on in my mind, a curiosity. 
And it's like, what will it take to stop the police brutality and stop the, is it called profiling? If you see somebody, see a black American and he's driving by and all of a sudden a police officer is suspicious just because all they're doing is, is driving by. I don't know if they're driving five miles over the speed limit. And why is it that they, the black, a black man is treated differently than a white man? that might be driving over the speed limit, whatever it is, whatever it is that would cause the police officer to ask that person to pull over. And we know we've hearing, I've been hearing, I've been learning, you know, mothers and fathers, you know, they're training their black American children. You know, if they get pulled over, the first thing you do is hands up, put your hands on the steering wheel. Why? because they know if they don't have their hands up, the policeman defaults, assumes that they're reaching for a gun. And then already the police officer is on the defensive. And then not just the defensive, it's like the heightened emotions, maybe the adrenaline kicks in and it goes from defensive to offensive too quickly and then too many innocent black men, women are being killed and harmed. Yeah, so that's a, that's a picture. You know, that's just a, in a small little picture of what right now this week that many of us are fighting for. And another topic that I want to share is that there's been a comment that I've been seeing several times in social media that the yoga community has been really quiet about this. And I know it's not all true because I have a lot of my yoga teachers that are speaking up. And is it because, I'm gonna speak for myself, I as a yoga teacher or we as a yoga community do we, you know, buy into the positive vibes only? You know, all like peace and love and happiness. Or, and or, is it also a lot of the yoga community and yoga teachers are not black and not educated in how to respond and speak about situations like this? And I'll speak for myself. I am not white. I'm a person of color. And I have predominantly been raised in white communities, predominant white communities. So I've had my years. My father was in the Coast Guard, so we moved around in the military. I did have some years that we lived in New York. And I went to school in Manhattan. And when I lived there, that was my... Uh, probably those years that I was there, my three and a half years there in Manhattan, that's when the, I was actually, as a minor, minority, I was a majority. So in my school, in the public school where I went to, if you were a Caucasian, you were actually the minority. So I, I actually did experience that. I had friends that were African-American, all different races and colors. And um, yeah, so that gave me, you know, a sense of 
you know, who who the black community was. I had that firsthand experience. And I have to say, experiencing that at a young age, I believe that helped me accept my black brothers and sisters for the creative people they were, the generous people were, the intelligent people that they were, the fun people that they were, because those were some of my friends, that it helped me not develop a prejudice against black people. Because, and I I almost don't want to share this, because I don't like to say anything negative about my family, but in my family, not all my family members, but in my family and extended family, there was prejudice. I even was told when I was in college, it's like, well, whatever you do, we don't want you to marry a black man. And I was shocked. I was shocked and not shocked because I had heard comments about them being afraid of black people. Now, they were raised in the Philippines, and, you know, their view of African Americans or black people was whatever they saw on the news or whatever they saw in the movies and almost everything that they watched, black people were portrayed as criminals or they were portrayed as hoodlums. You know, when you see that, when that's your lens of how you view those people, and I'm saying those people, and that's, that's what they learned, so they developed a fear. And then they, as my parents, they still didn't know any better. And then that's what they, that, that was the message that I heard. And, you know, when I got my first job, my first corporate job, one of my best friends actually was African-American. And my father, whom I adore, he's still alive. I love, 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 love him. But he had a hard time with that. He was unsure. He was worried about me. He was worried about, and that's when I got that another message about, well, are you dating him? You know, you're not going to marry him, are you? And I was like, oh my gosh. It's like, you don't even know him. So what did I do? I brought him home and I brought him home even more. And it's like, you know, you guys got, you guys have to know this guy is my friend, Frank. You've got to get to know him because you're judging him based on whatever you've seen in the news, whatever movie, whatever you've watched, read in the newspapers. And I have to tell you, it helped. It helped. And, you know, my my father, my papa, you know, he apologized to me later, you know, when he realized it's like, yeah, this is, you know, Frank's a good guy. He's a really nice guy, but it took a long time to even get him in the door. And I had a college roommate and she was from Montana. Her name was Shelly. And she grew up in a really small town in Montana. And one day, so both of us were in track. We both were runners. And I thought, okay, so she's literally running into the room. So we shared a dorm room together. She runs into my room, like out of breath. And I was like, oh, hey, what's going on? It's like, oh, my gosh. So this is what she tells me. This is Shelly talking. She's like, oh, my gosh, I just sprinted home. 
I was just in an elevator by myself with a black person. And I looked at her like, okay, and? It's like, I thought he was going to kill me. I was just like, why? It's like, because he's black. And this is the problem. So she grew up in a town with predominantly, I think predominantly white people, even me. She said, like, I was her first friend who was a person of color. And she was, let's see, I met her when she was 18. And she had all kind of stereotypes about me, too. I mean, even, even stereotypes, even if they were maybe complimentary, she had an assumption that, oh, I must be really smart because my kind are really smart. <laughs> I mean, she said, and she's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, what are these, like, stereotypes and generalizations? And, uh, yeah, so we talked about this man and she, this black man that was in the elevator, and she really, really feared for her life. And she's a good person. She's a good, kind person from a good family. And there was nothing in her that, yeah, she did not think at all that there was anything wrong with how she viewed this, this African-American college student who was in the elevator with her in the science library at the university that we attended. Another student who was also studying in the science library. And all it was was her riding an elevator by herself. So now I met her my freshman year of college. And I had the privilege of watching this small town girl who lived in a little bit of a sheltered bubble, only having experience with people of color on the news and movies and in books. And it was amazing how in those four years that she expanded her social circle, which also expanded her mind. And because she ended up dating one of the football players on our college team, she ended up making friends with a ton of African-American guys including guys that would come over and they would tease me because I played college soccer and they would laugh because I would eat almost more pizza than they could, you know, after all of our workouts. So we like, we hung out. And so she went from sprinting that one day riding in the elevator by herself with a black man to making friends with black men and women. So what does it take for, for us to, gosh, break down the walls and the barriers, you know, and the perceptions and the fear? And what I've observed is almost everything, you know, when, there, when we have a judgment or a criticism, especially if it's a strong criticism and we think we are so right, about something or someone and we're making someone else wrong is because 
One, we don't know them. We don't have a personal relationship. We don't really know that person. We haven't walked in their shoes. We are not like a brother or a sister, or we haven't really, we haven't sat at the table and had dinner with them. Yeah, we don't know them. And the time to like in person, you know, instead of thinking that you know someone because you read about them or watched a movie about that person, and then you see one person and then you judge the entire race based on the story of one person. That happens. You know, my father, I don't know if he's going to listen to this podcast. Oh, I, I hope, I kind of hope not. <laughs> I hope I don't hurt his feelings. And um, another, I had another boyfriend. Um, so this is, this is beyond college. So this was in my 30s. And he was East Indian. And I loved him. Oh my gosh, he was, he was amazing. No, we didn't get married. I'm married to somebody else. But um, so my papa, again... You know, and you could say maybe he's just a protective father, but again, he mentions, no, you can't marry him because he's, he's East Indian. So he is this beautiful Indian guy dating him, thinking about even marrying him. And why? Why not him? Okay, one, okay, I heard about the African-American. Okay, kind of got past that with Frank. And then now what about this guy? Because, so he says, my papa, because I watched a 60 Minutes and Indian men, they beat their wives and they like treat them like horrible. So this is what my, my papa is saying. So he saw a 60 Minutes episode about, and maybe it was true, whatever he was watching about that incident or one guy or, you know, a few guys, you know, but it wasn't my guy that I was dating. And my guy who happened to be born in the United States, and, you know, it doesn't matter. Still, he was judging him based on a 60-minute, one-hour episode that he used to watch on Sundays. Every Sunday, he would watch the 60 Minutes. Our family would watch 60 Minutes. And there was another comment, you know, which was racist. Not, not African-American, but still an, against another person of color. Okay, so I'll share another one. Okay, my papa was in the Coast Guard. <laughs> okay, my papa also told me, don't date a coasty. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just it was just him judging. And I'm using him as an as an example. And oh my gosh, if you all met him, he's lovely and I'm I mean, there's been an evolution. I mean, I've been able to have conversations with him. So, it's just like he's an Ooh, okay. I need to add a little break for me and for all of you. So I just paused and I just figured out how to split my long talk. It was actually me talking for an entire 54 minutes 
Actually, that included the, um, the eight minutes and 46 seconds of silent meditation. And I wanted to give myself a breather, especially since I've had time to re-listen to the podcast. And one thing I want to mention about my papa, and not only do I feel a little guilty about sharing this, and mostly, you know, I think about my intention for this whole episode and what I feel like is my intention for educating myself and others is to offer up a connection to a higher good, an awareness to a higher good. So, you know, my papa, I am able to use him as an example of how I heard messages that could have swayed me to become prejudiced against black people, and yet I'm not. And subconsciously, I did hear those messages. So right now, with this Black Lives Matter and with my yoga practice, you know, shining a light on where can I transform my mind and my thoughts and my attitude to be compassionate and accepting of all beings, all beings, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, everything, to invite that, that compassion and that acceptance. And another thing I want to mention about my papa and why he is such a, a great, powerful example for me, and I actually think of him when I think of like, who are the people that inspire me in my life? He is definitely up there as one of the people that inspire me because despite how he was raised and despite the lens that he had where he developed his own prejudices because of whatever he learned in the news and the movies and the books, his experience coming into the United States, he still was able to transform and shift into a place of acceptance and a place of forgiveness. And that is really powerful because he's, he's an inspiration to show me that we as human beings, that we don't need to stay fixed in our beliefs and our opinions and our prejudices. That it's possible to rise above. So a little bit of a break and a little bit of a plug for my papa. Because yeah, I was feeling a little bit bad (laughs) using him as an example. All right, we'll get back to the talk. Thanks for hanging in there with me. All right, I want to start wrapping this up. And a few more thoughts of of what I learned and, and some suggestions I can offer to you and how to take action. So one is to vote. And specifically, something that I learned was how important it is to research and get to know the background of your local your local officials. So when you look through that ballot, and this is my confession, that when I voted, I did not take the time to find out how 
does each individual vote? What is their voting record? How do they show up in the community? How do they speak up for race relations? Do they speak in a way that supports minorities and the black community and people of color? Or do they speak in a way that sounds like white supremacy and white privilege? Well, that's something, that's an awareness that has been new to me in my education during these last couple of days of Blackout Tuesday. So take the time and vote. Like really intentionally study and vote. And why am I emphasizing this? Because I will call myself out that I have been lazy. So often, like honestly, truthfully, I will refer to my husband and say, hey, can you vote for me? There are a couple of issues that I really feel strongly about and the rest of them I don't really know about or I've chosen not to care about. And he's voted for me and I've trusted him because I feel like my husband and I were very aligned in our values and what we want to see in the world. And I can take the time myself to vote myself and understand what does it mean? We, we fought, you know, me as a woman, you know, black people as, you know, a minority, it took them even longer to get the right to vote, that this is a privilege. And I was taking that for granted. So, and no more, no more. And then looking at how does that person that's on the ballot, how does that issue, is there anything in there that could be contributing to police brutality, or is it racist in some way? No, that's something something new for me to be on the lookout in my noticing, that our votes matter. Our votes matter, our voices matter. And a quote that I like from Angie Thomas in the book, The Hate You Give, which is a, a great movie and a book which I have shared with my family. My teenage daughter is actually the one that brought it to my attention. And at the end, I think it might be in the epilogue, Angie Thomas, she shares this quote that says, be like a rose. Let me quote it exactly. Be roses that grow in concrete. So what that brings to mind is even when your environment is not like fertile and you may not have this perfect garden with all of the fertilizer and all the sun and the water and, and everything that you would think that you would need to thrive, that the black community, that they are still, they are still letting their voices be heard. They are not letting that concrete or that environment that has oppressed them and has suppressed, they had the message of your voices don't matter, your vote doesn't matter. They still, this is why they're out there like loud, they're peaceful protest and there are people that are angry because they have been suppressed and they need to be heard. You know, I heard this analogy and I can 100% relate to this as a parent. As like a child, you tell your kid, you know, once quietly, kindly ask them 
know, to do their chore. Or ask them to stop hitting your brother or sister. You know, so you ask kindly, and then you ask again kindly, ask again kindly, and then, and then there's a consequence, and then the voice gets raised, and then there might be yelling. And that's what's happening. It's like once you've been told over and over and over again, and the request may have started kindly, civilly, peacefully, and then when you're not heard, this is what's happening. We're getting these, these peaceful protests. We're getting social media flooded with learning more about how can we help with voting. And it's making a difference. I mean, look at what happened. So within the seven, seven days or so, we have these four officers that now there are consequences for what happened to George Floyd. So it's been effective. And why can't we listen without the black community needing to yell and raise their voice. They deserve to be heard, just like each and every one of us, citizens of the United States and citizens of this planet. So I could go on and I have more that I could share. And instead, I would like you to refer to my episode notes. So I share resources on meditations, you know, I've mentioned Sean King, Justin Michael Williams, who wrote Stay Woke. I absolutely love his podcast. I've included in the episode notes a link to a specific meditation, which is to uncover your hidden pre prejudices. Yeah, take a listen. It's free on the Insight Timer app. And even if you follow me on Spiritually Fit Yoga on my Instagram page, I share as much as I can about how can you vote, what phone numbers can you use to call to make a difference, to have government officials listen to us, stand up for our black community, stand up for Black Lives Matter. And now I'm going to leave it at that. And then I'm going to invite you to take a seat for meditation, or whatever you choose, whether you're standing, you could be walking, maybe you're driving, to focus on George Floyd in this eight minutes and 46 seconds. Just to increase your empathy and compassion for George Floyd and the black community. And can you find it in your heart and your mind and your energy that at the end of that, to let it fortify you, that you will commit to taking some type of action. Whether it's making a phone call to a local official, whether it's writing an email, whether it's finding out where's a peaceful protest in your, in your local community, or having a conversation. My family, we've been having a lot of conversations about this around the dinner table to raise, to raise awareness. There's a lot of lists, including on my page. I share a post on how can you help. There's podcasts. There are movies. There are books to read. There are options to take this time to educate and listen and learn. Thank you so much for listening. 
take this time to set up for this 8 minutes and 46 seconds. I'll let you know when the time is done and then I will do a final wrap up of this episode. Thanks. Some final thoughts before we begin the silent meditation. So I have a, a request of the yoga community, whether you're a yoga teacher or a yoga student or anyone listening. There is a mission of Baptiste Yoga. Baptiste Yoga is the style that I'm certified in, and it's to disrupt the drift. So disrupt the drift of living resigned, complacent, drifting along mindlessly. And the intention is to be mindful and make the call for the higher good. So what yoga does not mean is shying away from discomfort and always choosing positive vibes only. And I am all for that. I love positivity. I love being happy. And I love laughing and smiling and celebrating life and, and getting out into nature and hiking. All of that. All of that is also part of our journey to be in the celebration of our life. That is, it's a gift. It's a gift to be alive. And the request is for right now in this Black Lives Matter and in this meditation the request for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Can you observe and connect to you know, what it might feel like or might have felt like for George Floyd and the black community, the suffering that they feel to increase your compassion and empathy? And to notice that that is, for those of us that are yogis, and if you're a yoga teacher like me that has committed to my dharma, my being of service, my being of service is to show up and spread the message of compassion, not just like lip service, not just with words, not with just how I show up in class and teach, but in my life, how I show up off the mat. So that's my invitation to you. Reflect on that, 8 minutes and 46 seconds.
take a breath in because you can breathe. Hold that breath and then sigh and release, empty out. One more big, free, abundant, full breath in. Sigh, let it go. And thank you for taking the time, this eight minutes and 46 seconds, to sit, to reflect, to bring some attention and maybe discover some self-discovery of how you feel about the situation. And maybe you had some time to think about what action do you want to take now to be a support and to be a contribution to this cause for justice and for Black Lives Matter. Well, if you stayed with me through the very end of this episode, I humbly, humbly thank you for listening to my humble thoughts, my non-expert thoughts, and my hope that it sparked, sparked something in you to do your own research, to vote. If you're not friends with an African-American, to seek out the black community, to get to know them, a personal connection. Because I think that's definitely one of the ways to remember that we are all connected. It's not us versus them. It's actually when one is suffering, we all are suffering. That we're not any different than they are. They might be treated differently than we are based on the color of your skin. And especially if you practice the yoga philosophy of union and connection, we are all connected. Well, please review the episode notes. I have a bunch of links for you there. I really appreciate you tuning in. Namaste.